Tonight we're going to look at a classical apologetic tool called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. Flash my slide here. The context of this message is to a church. We are a church. So technically this is a family discussion. We're, we're, we're having a family discussion amongst ourselves. However, if you're listening to this message and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, someone just handed you this MP3 or this lesson, then you're more than welcome. We welcome you to listen to this. And we hope that you walk away from this message being challenged both intellectually and spiritually. Because we're going to throw a little bit of both up there. But if you want to be in on this family discussion and you're listening to this message, then you need to be a family member. How do I do that, you ask? Simply by believing in Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you do that, you're a family member. By the end of this message, you'll have to make a decision or to, to listen to the facts, to consider them, and then you'll be persuaded one way or the other. But without further ado, I want to break down this argument for believers so that we know how to answer people, applying that to, to our life today, on giving a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, I would like to start off by saying I don't believe there's such thing as an atheist. We went over that last week. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are people who believe that they don't believe in God, but deep down, human beings reflect a belief in a higher being. We just do. If you look at the way that people live, you study them, people deep down know in their hearts that there is objective moral truth. You might hear someone from time to time say, I don't believe in absolute truth. And then you can turn it around on them and say, are you absolutely sure? And there's an absolute there. If we can have one absolute, we can have two. There are things that we know for sure that are right and that are wrong. You ask people who say there's no objective moral truths, and there's no such thing as absolute truth, and don't push your views on me, you would ask them, what would you do to someone who tried to kill your kid? They would say, oh, that would, that would be absolutely wrong. And there goes their argument that there's no absolute truths. Deep down inside, people live like they believe in God. They know for some reason that it's... You don't have to be taught that it's bad to murder people. We don't have to be taught that it's bad to disrespect authorities or people above us. Those are things you don't have to learn. They're embedded and woven into the very fabric of our being. So for me, someone who says that they don't believe in the existence of God, I don't know how they could rationalize that and make that consistent with their belief that there is no God. Because if there's no God, then where did this divine law come from? Where do our morals come from if we just evolved from little single-cell amoebas? You can't have objective moral law if there is no God. That's the point. So people live like they believe in God. And there's no atheist that's consistent with their beliefs. Otherwise, you'd have someone who doesn't believe in doing right or wrong and believes there is no right or wrong. So you could really slap him in the face and he, would, he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't say that's wrong. 
Now, the purpose of this message is not to prove that God exists. That's not our goal. Our goal is to show people who suppress the truth and the reality of that. People don't reject God because they don't have any evidence. Because the evidence is clear. They reject Him because of sin. And remember, the purpose of this message is not to go out so we can prove God's existence because God will do that for us with the trees, with human nature, with just looking at the human, the design of the human body. God will take care of that. But the purpose here is to show us as believers the reality that how people suppress the truth by their wickedness and how someone can see concrete evidence right in front of their face and still say, well, I don't believe in God anyways. So in sum, the Kalam cosmological argument is a version of the cosmological argument derived from the Islamic Kalam, according to Wikipedia. And what it basically says is a couple things. It says three things, and it's there on your sheet. Three things. One, the universe had a beginning. Two, the beginning of the universe was caused. And three, a person caused the beginning of the universe. Now this is, just for your notes, the Kalam cosmological argument is a Muslim argument for the existence of God. There's a Jewish argument to prove God's existence, and there are all kinds of arguments to prove God's existence, but this was created by an Islamic guy, or guys. I forgot what Wikipedia said. But in any case, they want to prove that God exists. So is believing that God exists enough to is enough for a person's salvation? No, it's not. But we'll unpack that at the end of this message. Question. If we're going to try to prove these three things, and this is all you need to prove to have a successful presentation of the Kalam, how do we know that the universe had a beginning? Because we have good evidence that proves that the space-time universe, physical universe that we live in, began at some point in the past. I don't know how long it began. It could have been 20,000 years ago. It could have been 20 trillion years ago. It doesn't matter to me. All we have to do is prove that the universe had a beginning. And this works out really good. This is not just an intellectual argument. I don't want someone to think that we're trying to be just intellectual. We're really trying to reach people's hearts and have a heart-to-heart conversation. You can actually sit down in a restaurant and take out a napkin and write this down to someone who wants to really know if God exists. And I was able to do that, write it on a napkin. And the person ended up saying, you know, I believe that. I believe that. That's a rational argument. That's a good one. So three things keep this in mind. This is the big idea. The universe had a beginning. The beginning was caused. And a person caused the beginning of the universe. Okay, let's jump into this. The physical universe in which we live in has a beginning. Had a beginning. And I'm going to try to do my best to prove that from the Kalam cosmological argument. And we'll start off 
with two ways of understanding the Kalam cosmological argument. First, we're going to put this deductive argument there on your notes. Premise one. We know that physical things that exist have beginnings, right? I mean, nobody can re nobody refutes this. Something that exists, look in front of you, you know that whatever it is sitting in front of you had a beginning. <coughs> Premise two. Beginnings, or first events, are always caused. You know that the laptop sitting in front of you just didn't pop into being. But it was caused to come into being. Therefore, the universe had a cause for its existence. The universe didn't just pop into being. Furthermore, if the universe had a cause, then it must have been caused by a person. And the only person capable of initiating such an event had to be outside of time and uncaused. Because whoever created time had to be outside of time, him or herself. So that's what we, that's what we mean when we say that God created the universe. Here's another way of, of understanding it. That was a, a deductive argument. But this one's easy to write down. If you, if you like this type of thing, if you're a visual learner, then you can present to someone on paper these three arguments like this. You say the universe exists, right? So you start off with the universe. And there's a fork in the road where they have to make a decision. You tell them either the universe had no beginning or it had a beginning. And you stop there. And you can't move any further along into the argument unless you handle this first. And once they make that decision, we'll learn how to we'll learn how to lead them through this process. But once they say, "Okay, you know what? You're right. The lo the most logical thing to believe is that the universe did have a beginning." Then you go to the next fork in the road and you say, "Okay, now that you agree that the universe had a beginning, we need to agree is it was either not caused or caused." And you talk and you talk and then they will come to this they should come to this conclusion that the universe that the beginning was caused. And then, once you reach that point, you say, okay, that cause was either caused by a person or not. It was either not personal or personal. Can you use, uh, instead of cause, Okay. A beginning. I didn't make the argument up, so this is how the, this is the original form. But, but let's just see. The okay, the beginning was there for a reason, or it was there for no reason. That makes sense. In any case, you're saying that the beginning was either someone started the beginning for a reason or no reason. That works. So when we say cause and not cause, no, we think that it's there for a reason. Okay. Now let's go into proving that the universe had a beginning. First of all, we know that the universe had a beginning because it's impossible to cross infinity. Now this first concept of, of proving this, see here on your notes, we're going to prove that the universe had a beginning, first of all, with the problem of infinity. Now, it's impossible to cross infinity. Right? If, if I had, if there was a line that went infinite, 
infinitely long that way, and then no matter how fast I walked, I could never cross it. If the universe had no beginning, then it would, it would have to have been preceded by an infinite amount, amount of earlier moments. Okay? If the existence of the universe is here, and it's been around forever, then that means before the beginning, before the universe came into existence, or if the universe had no beginning, that means this timeline behind all that would be an infinite amount of earlier moments. But if the present moment, right now, what's the date today? 12 April 2007. If the history goes back to an infinite amount of earlier moments, then the present moment could have never arrived. Okay? Since the present moment is here, April 12th, it had to have been preceded by a finite amount of earlier moments. It had to have been. And we're going to prove this. This is what we're going to seek to prove right now. And the conclusion is that the universe had a beginning. That's what we mean when we say the universe had a beginning. We mean that there was a, a beginning in time. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's try to unpack this now. Let's say that this line right here, 2004, let's say 2007 is right here. And then you go back and here's Easter, you go back, here's Christmas, Thanksgiving. If the universe had been around forever, how far does this line go back? Forever. Forever. So, in order to get to the present moment, which is right here, how much time has passed to get here? From the beginning to there. But, but if there is no beginning, how much... How many moments have passed up until 2007? Infinite. An infinite amount of earlier moments. And we're going we're gonna to prove that mathematically that's ludicrous. That's impossible. If the universe had no beginning, that means this line would go back forever, which means it would have to cross infinity to get here. But we're going to show that you can't cross infinity. And I'll do it by using these Easter eggs. Okay? Here's a finite set of Easter eggs. Okay, I have 10 blue eggs and 10 gold eggs. Okay, here's a finite set. There's only 20 up here. Now, I have a whole set of 20 eggs, right? Can we see that? And then I'm going to have a subset of 10 blue eggs. So out of 20, there's a subset of 10 blue eggs. Out of 20, there's a subset of, of 10 gold eggs. You see that? Now here's the rule in math with, with finite numbers. The subset will always be smaller than the whole set, right? If you take out the, all the gold eggs, then you're left. Well, if you take out all the gold eggs, then that would be... 10 eggs that you're holding in your hand, which is less than 20. Because a subset in math is always smaller than the whole set. But that's not the, tr the case with infinity. Now, a definition of infinity is that which a subset can be equal to the amount of the whole set. 
So if this was infinity, then I could take out all the gold eggs and still have an infinite amount of eggs. That's the problem with infinity. Now let's just say I have pictures of Janelle and Jagger Easter egg hunting. Let's just say there's an infinite amount of eggs on the field. Okay? And they collect, let's just say, 20 eggs each. How many eggs are still left on the field? The same amount. If there's an infinite amount of eggs on the field and they took 300 each, Jagger and Janelle took 300 each, how many eggs are still left on the field? There's an infinite amount. Because no matter how many eggs you take off the field, there will always be still an infinite amount. Now that's the problem with infinity. Let's take it back to our timeline here. In order to get to this moment, 2007, you have to precede moments of time. One, two, three, four, five, and you get all the way to here. It's, it's progressive. But with infinity, you can't even get started. You can't even get started if the past is an infinite amount of, of earlier moments. The past must be a finite number, which means there had to be a starting point. Here's some more problems with infinity and math. What's infinity plus 1,125? Infinity. What's infinity times 6,657? Infinity. What's infinity to the 1,000th power? Infinity. Guess what? Infinity times infinity is infinity. Infinity doesn't change and it's impossible to cross infinity. Back to this timeline. If the universe did not have a beginning, then how far does this line go? It goes back forever. So what do scientists mean when they say that the universe has always been here? That we've had an infinite that the universe has been around for infinity. Well, what they're saying is that the universe had no beginning, which means that the year 2007 is preceded by an infinite amount of earlier moments. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, and we're going to unpack that even more. Here's another illustration. Gabe and Jagger's motorcycle race. Okay, let's just say that <clears throat> Gabriel and Jagger are in a race. Okay, so they're trying to get to this point. They're trying to reach point B. Now, if Jagger's timeline starts with, a, with an absolute beginning, then he can get started and he will reach point B. But if this line goes back for infinity, then he can't even get started. His feet aren't even reaching the pedals. He can't even get started. He could never reach point B. I, I picture it like this. If the past was an infinite amount of earlier moments, 
that would be like trying to jump out of an infinitely tall bottomless pit. And that's the best illustration I've heard. That and this motorcycle race. If the past, if the universe has been around for infinity, then we could never reach 2007. Is that clear? Anybody who says the universe has been around forever is violating math and logic. The universe had to have some point in time where it said, this is the beginning, time is starting now. Now we're at 2007. But if this line goes back for infinity, you can't even begin. You can't even begin to get going. So what's the big deal? No beginning means an infinite past. But if an infinite amount of moments cannot be crossed, then the present moment could have never arrived. If we have a beginning, that means we have a finite past. And to say the universe has a finite past means that the universe had a beginning. So you're sitting there with a person, and then you give them the option to consider the facts, the evidence. They have to make a choice. You look here on your, on your handout, they have to make a choice. Either the universe had a beginning or it didn't. Now who in their right mind, after considering mathematical and logical evidence, would say that I still don't believe that the universe had a beginning. I think we've been around forever. In my opinion, that's a slam dunk. But I haven't argued it enough to hear a good argument or rebuttal. But I think that's pretty clear. The universe had a beginning. Now, which moves us to our next point. We have to show that the beginning was caused. But before we even go there, does anybody know who this is? Yeah, Stephen Hawking. He wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. And he talked about the Big Bang Theory. I want to ask you a question. Is the Big Bang Theory good or bad? Bad. Some say good, some say bad. Well, most people think that the Big Bang Theory is atheistic. It's not. If you, This is what Stephen Hawking wrote his book about. That he said that if you believe in a Big Bang, then that implies a big banger or someone who created the big bang or who started the big bang and what you're left with is a universe that was created by someone who created the big bang and now he's i don't think he's a believer as he's not he tried to avoid the beginning of a universe and he ended up saying in the end that his book really didn't make any sense when applied to reality and he had to go through all these kind of these loops and talking about imaginary time and time being in a loop instead of a line. And he was really trying to do these backflips to avoid the belief in God. But in any case, he said that the Big Bang implied a big banger. That's another evidence for the beginning of the universe. And see, that would support Romans 1, which says that they suppress the truth. Oh, yeah. He, you know he knows the problem of infinity. He's a smart guy. See, he looks really smart. But he's suppressing. Yeah. 
He's smart. But no matter how smart you are, you have to consider the facts and the evidence, and it seems like he's suppressing the evidence, trying to do backflips to the point where he's saying, well, my book doesn't really make any sense if you apply it to reality. Then why write the book? So, so is the Big, the big Bang a bad theory? Or well, we can, if anybody says, I believe in the Big Bang Theory, then you can turn it around on them and say, well, I'm glad you support that the universe had a beginning. The Big Bang is a beginning? The Big Bang implies that there's a beginning. Because the Big Bang would be the first event, which would mean the, the beginning of time. So the Big Bang you, is good for us because we don't want to say that the universe had an infinite, uh, has been around for infinity. It's better, I would rather say there was a Big Bang. So the Big Bang theory doesn't hurt us. And if they want to teach that's that in school, that's, that's fine. Their, that's their take on the, how the universe came into existence. Like, it is anti-God. But, like Pastor Ryan was saying, we can turn it around and say, well, I'm glad that you believe that it had a cause, or it was caused. Uh, the, the difference is that they think it just happened. We think that there are causes for the Big Bang. So if you believe in the Big Bang Theory, you're stuck with a Big Banger. And that's that. Here's another proof of the, that the universe had a beginning. Edwin Hubble, another smart, he was a, he was a scientist. He didn't discover redshift theory, but he studied it more in depth. And he ended up coming up with this, what's known as now the Hubble telescope, the Hubble telescope which sees really far, but Hubble's law. Hubble's law is a statement in physical cosmology which states that the redshift in light coming from distant galaxies is proportional to their distance. It has this whole explanation, but what it is, what Hubble discovered, is that the universe is expanding. <clears throat> he saw light in distant, distant galaxies and he saw that the universe is expanding with time, which points back to the point where it started. So maybe his idea does support the Big Bang, but it but what it does is it says, okay, if the universe is expanding or if it big banged into existence and now the universe is continually growing this way, then there had to be a point where it started. You, you see the, the whole the main idea? The point I'm trying to make is that all of these theories, no matter what, point to a beginning of the universe. And you can't, you can't really get around it. Another proof for the beginning of the universe is the second law of thermodynamics. Here on page two. The second law of thermodynamics, now this is something that is it's scientific. It's a law. No scientist in their right mind would say, well, I don't hold to the second law. It's a, it's a fundamental constant of nature. And second law of thermodynamics, according to Wikipedia, is an expression of the universal law of increasing entropy. Rudolf Clausius says that entropy, the entropy of an isolated system, like the universe, is not in equilibrium, will tend to increase over time, approaching a maximum value at equilibrium. Now what that means, and we'll translate that in English, entropy says that the universe is winding down. It is running out of energy into an increasing 
state of equilibrium. I like to illustrate it like this. A hot coffee cup will eventually wind down until it reaches room temperature. The The second law of thermodynamics says that if you put a hot coffee cup on the table, that over time it will reach equilibrium, it'll run out of energy until it reaches room temperature. That's the second law of thermodynamics. So if we saw a hot coffee cup right there on the table and we came back later and we saw that it was cooled off, we would know that the second law came into effect. Now if we came up here and the first thing we saw was a cold coffee cup, then we would know that it hadn't been there for an infinite amount of time. Now the earth hasn't cooled off yet, the universe hasn't completely winded down, so we know that the past, that it hasn't been around for an infinite amount of days. If the universe had been around for an infinite amount of days, it would have run out of energy an infinite amount of days ago. Just like the coffee cup. If the coffee cup had been there for an infinite amount of days, then it would be cold an infinite amount of days ago. So the universe is like this coffee cup and it's slowly winding down. The con- what if the location of the cup is in Mars? Or the universe? Well, it's the second law still applies. It's still winding down. You mean Mars, would it, would it boil up? But the but the law we see in the universe is that energy is winding down. Energy is dissipated. Something will reach equilibrium to the point that it will it'll it'll uh, flatten out. Okay. Any more questions on second law of thermodynamics? Wait, is the energy really winding down, or is that what the guy said? That's that's the law of thermodynamics. That's the that's the study, that's the observation that we've seen. That any well here it is in scientific terms. The entropy of an isolated system, not in equilibrium, will tend to increase over time, approaching a maximum value at equilibrium. So if something's really hot, the article goes on to say down here that cold things don't become hot but they reach, they they become lukewarm and vice versa. So with the universe, it's only winding down and that's the whole point in second law of thermodynamics. It's just everything is winding down. In fact, every time we turn another year, we're experiencing entropy. Because we're winding down, we're not strong, our joints ache. So everything in this universe is winding down. So what's the main point? All of this is to say that the universe had a beginning. It's more sensible to believe that the universe had a beginning. It's more reasonable to believe that the universe had a beginning. Now you say, what about God? Hasn't he existed for an infinite amount of days? Well, the answer is, no, he hasn't. Because God is outside of time. So God hasn't existed for an infinite amount of days because he's not in time. And since he created time, 
There, I don't want to say there is a, there was a time when there was no time, but God was, and He created time, and spun everything into existence. So we've pretty much squashed the the argument for establishing that the universe had a beginning, but it doesn't stop there. The second thing we want to prove after we've established that the universe had a beginning was that the beginning was caused. Reason, the law of cause and effect. Beginnings or first events, because a beginning of something is an event. Beginnings or first events are always caused by some other event. B.C. Johnson has a handbook called the Atheist Debater's Handbook. And his conclusion is interesting. At the end of his book, he says, well, maybe the universe just popped into existence out of nothing without a cause whatsoever. And we're, we're accused of having blind faith. Because there's nothing that anybody could ever cite in his example of something that popped into existence without having a cause or without having a reason. I mean, what's the prices, what's the price that people are willing to pay in order to avoid a theistic belief? What price are we willing to pay? That we write a whole book and we say, well, maybe, maybe the universe just popped into existence. They're suppressing the truth. A person who calls himself an atheist and sees these facts, especially these guys, these brilliant scientists and they still come up with well I just don't believe they're suppressing the truth there's no shred of evidence that anybody has ever seen where something pops into existence without a cause there's never been an example I'd like to see one we know that when things come into being or when events happen we know that when something happens something causes that event to happen. So the conclusion is that it's more reasonable and rational to believe that the beginning of the universe was caused. You see my point here? Things don't just happen out of nothing. Lastly, so we've established that the universe had a beginning we see that the beginning of the universe, which is a first event, had to, be, had to have been caused. Because there's nothing that happens without it being caused. Lastly, the cause for the beginning of the universe had to be personal. The cause for the beginning of the universe was personal. Now there are two kinds of causes that we know of. Physical causes and personal causes. Physical cause is, let's say, when one billiard ball hits another one and then it moves. Or when pins fall down because a bowling ball knocked them down. Those are physical causes. We live in a world with cause and effect. You have a cause, and then there is an effect. 
And the only way events happen is when something causes it to happen. Note, there's never an instance where something happens without a cause. And especially in physical causes, both the cause and the effect are events that happen in time. So if you have any event, you already presuppose that you're in time. If something had an event, or if you're describing an event in time, then you can't get around that you're in time, which means if you're at the present moment right now, then the universe had to have had a beginning. Here's some more examples of physical causes. A wind blowing a leaf, a billiard ball hitting another billiard ball, or a surfboard snapping because the wave pounded it, so on and so forth. The only time something can happen out of nothing is when a person, let's just say, I act freely and I want to raise my hand. See how this event just happened out of nowhere? I'm doing this without someone causing me to do it. I'm generating an event out of nothing. And the only time uh, an event can happen out of nothing is when a person exercises free will. A billiard ball just doesn't go to another billiard ball and say, I think I'm going to move him. And he moves the other ball. Now the only time that events happen spontaneous is when someone exercises their free will. Personal causes don't need to be preceded by other events. That's the main point. If you have a personal cause, then they are themselves the first event and it's spontaneous. <coughs> What's my point? The only cause that does not require preceding events to happen is when a person exercises his free will. So whatever caused the first event had to be a person. Furthermore, it had to be a person who is outside of time. Because how can there be a first event from a situation that is timeless? You can't. The first event had to be created from someone who was timeless. Because there isn't any time before the first event. Don't you see? There's no time before the first event, otherwise it wouldn't be the first event. So what person meets this qualification? We've already established that the universe had to have a beginning. And then we, we saw that the beginning had to be caused. And now we see that that cause had to be from someone who could generate a first event out of their own free will. But then how, who can generate it? What kind of person can generate something, a first event, from their free will? What kind of person meets this qualification? Well, whoever created the first event had to be outside of time. Whoever created the first event could not be anyone in the natural world. The person must be supernatural. That's what you're left with. Outside of time and uncreated himself. By definition, that's who we call God. But then you'll run into someone who says, well, what about God? Who created him? 
who caused him. God doesn't need a cause since he's, he's neither an event or a contingent being. He is, an, he is a necessary being and such a being doesn't need a cause. So someone will say to you, well, who created God? I want to know who created God. Who caused him? Well, that's a category fallacy. Because you're taking, you're asking for a cause of an uncaused being. It's a category fallacy. Whatever caused the first event had to be a person, had to be supernatural, outside of time and space, and uncreated. I conclude that the God of the Bible best fits this description. So now what do we do with this information? Sure, we've established that the universe had a beginning, that the beginning was caused, and that the cause was personal. So, big deal. It's a Muslim argument for the existence of God. What are we going to do with this information? Well, as believers, we can see the reality of Romans 1.18. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made so that men are without excuse. And Paul goes on to explain that men suppress the truth by their wickedness. And what that looks like when they suppress the truth is they start getting into all kinds of crazy ideas and lifestyles. And according to Paul, he attributes homosexuality and lesbianism to people who suppress the truth. And that's just two things out of the many things that he mentions in Romans 1. The destruction of suppressing the truth that is so obvious to us is really destroying people. So for believers, we can take something like this, the evidence, hit hard on the evidence. And what I would do is if someone was, was close to believing in God and they, they were just closed-minded and they didn't want to believe in Him and you showed them an argument that there was this tight, if they're being open-minded and they're being honest, then I would see this, I would see them dropping their guard and saying, hmm, I never really thought about these things. Because you can't really do anything about closed-minded people. You can show them an argument. It could be pretty tight like this. And they could still say, ah, whatever, I don't believe. We can't do anything about that. But what happens if you're sitting in front of a person and you show them this argument and then they start to say, huh, that makes a lot of sense. What do we do at that point? Well, at that point, we can share the gospel. And that's what I think the strength is of classical apologetics. Remember the, the two types of apologetics? There's the presuppositional and there's the classical. Well, I say, why not combine them both? And if you're talking to a person that, that believes they're logical and philosophical, why not give them a logical and philosophical and mathematical argument? If you're talking to someone who's more open to, to miracles and what the Bible has to say, then give that to them. I don't think we should have one way of presenting the gospel and, and cookie cut, this is the way I'm going to give it every time. Why not do what Jesus did and try to relate to the person first? See where they're coming from. See what would open them up more 
and then go with that. So you might not use this on everybody. Then, then again, you might run into somebody who's in college or got a, got a lot of degrees or goes to a, a UC school or any university and they want to hear something like this. Then give it to them. Be like Jesus. Relate. Relate first. Share your heart. And then we can use these tools to present the gospel. And if someone has heard this message and you're in that in that spot where you say, I've never really thought about these things and now I'm persuaded that God really does exist. Well, the Bible is clear. God does exist and He does love you and He loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross. That's Jesus Christ. And if you want to talk evidence, there's tons of evidence for that as well. But that's a whole different message. But faith is all about believing, being fully convinced of what the Bible says. The Bible says that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. So it's as simple as that. If you're listening to this message and you want to believe in Jesus, just consider the evidence Consider the, the facts that have been set before you and tell God in your own vernacular, in your own way, however you want, that you are believing in Him and He will honor that. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for this time that we've had to come together as a class and study Your Word and to also consider all the evidence that You exist. I pray that we would use these things as tools in our belt for evangelizing and for sharing the gospel. I pray that we would study and polish this argument so that when we need to use it, we can. In other times, we would just present the gospel straightforward, but I pray that we would just be confident in what we believe, always giving a reason for the hope that we have in you, Lord. And it's in your son's name we ask all these things. Amen. Right. So any questions? I yeah. have a question, but it's, it's kind of off, off topic a little bit. Okay. Um, my carpool buddy guy, he's a Church of Christ. Hmm. Okay? And every once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll talk about stuff. And it's not, it doesn't get uncomfortable. Because you know, a lot of stuff we talk about, we agree on. But um, the past couple of days he's been telling me about this thing that their church is having, uh, a mess or something, something like that. And, it, you know, the way he describes it to me, it sounds cultic, I guess. It's, it's a three-day meet where, you know, someone from the church has to, you know, be your sponsor. And you go there for three days and you just listen to all these types of things. Yeah. Well, you know, he's telling me about it and, and he says, yeah, you know what? I, I think you'd really like it, you know, it's it's really, you know, faith-based, blah, 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 blah. Now, if, how do you kind of turn something down like that that, you know, you don't really know about? I mean, I, I don't I don't want to give an answer, well, oh, you, you know what, uh, let me see what we're doing first, because that's already, that's just like saying, oh, I'm not interested, let me see if something better comes up. Okay. Well, what's a good way to, like, turn it down? I'm not interested in his thing, really. 
I mean, I, I want to know what it is, but I don't want to go to a three-day thing too. Because if I were to invite him to our church, yeah, I would I wouldn't want the same answer. But then I mean, isn't I wouldn't I don't know how to turn it down. And 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 when I asked him more about it, he says they're not really allowed to tell too much info. About no. It. Well, you can just I would just ask him what he believes. You don't have to that event, but ask him. What does a person have to do to go to heaven? Something really broad like that. And it is well, a cult. Church of Christ is a cult. We have, we've already had that discussion. And, you know, oh, what do you say? You bring up the, the verses, and he, he agrees with it. You know, John 3.16 and whatnot. But um, I, I haven't really gone into too much depth in, in, into what, what, they, what they teach at this Church of Christ. Because usually... Sometimes, occasionally, when I ride to work, you know, we'll just flip through and sometimes listen to K-Wave in the morning and then just listen here and there and just talk based on that. But I, we haven't really gone into too much depth, depth, because, um, you know, but maybe that's something that I could ask him. Yeah, I always ask people if if they believe what the Bible says, then why would they attach themselves to to something that's specifically a denomination or anything that would just automatically put up walls and say this is who we are if you're not if you're not one of us you know, why why put the division up what would you say Freddie well obviously if I'm going to reach out to my friend I don't want him to close the doors on me either so I would sound interested because you are genuinely interested